This is Healthcare Strategies. This podcast was recorded remotely due to the coronavirus pandemic. As a result, the quality may be a little lower than our usual standards. We appreciate your patience as we practice social distancing. From all of us at Extelligent Healthcare Media, stay healthy, stay safe, and enjoy the latest episode of Healthcare Strategies. Hi, and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. I'm Jessica Kent, an editor for Health IT Analytics. Today, we're talking to Anthony Romeo, MD, an orthopedic surgeon and chief medical editor of Orthopedics Today. In today's episode, we're talking about how healthcare organizations can use data to measure the quality of physician care, reduce the cost of care, and improve outcomes. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Romeo. How are you? I'm well. Thank you very much for the opportunity. So why is measuring the quality of physician care so critical? The reason why it's critical is because when you look at the classic um, equation of what is the value of healthcare, it's the quality divided by the cost. And quite honestly, we haven't had very good measures of the quality in terms of individual physician. So then it all comes down to cost. And that's a very frustrating environment to be in, uh, reducing physician reimbursement, uh, creating uh, more strict guidelines in terms of staffing and other models, putting additional pressure on the physicians. We see what's happening. Burnout in physicians is the highest it's ever been and getting worse. Now, many companies are trying to develop systems to try to help burnout. And what I, I oftentimes see is it's, it's a downstream philosophy. Okay, the physicians are burned out. Let's try to help that doctor and make sure he can work through it. When in reality, the upstream solution should be Let's create a better environment for that physician to work in. Let's complete, let's make it that he enjoy he or she enjoys coming to work every day. Let's make sure they have the staff that they need and that we're not cutting them short on that. Let's make sure that the environment to care for patients is not under so much pressure uh, that it's an uncomfortable place to be. And so those upstream philosophies really should be driven by the physician leadership. And to make sure that they're done correctly, it should be done under quality measures. It's remarkable whenever you get into sort of the soft side of measurements and you look at, again, things like whether the physicians enjoy being part of the practice, whether the physicians would recommend that their peers should be part of the practice, whether you look at physicians who are high performance, most of them really enjoy their job and they enjoy what they're doing and they take better care of patients and they have lower complication rates and higher patient satisfaction scores. So I think there's a way to to look at this from a very strict uh, financial or mathematical model that is not going to be effective as we go forward. We really have to take the human being on both sides of this equation. That's the patient and the physician, and we've got to make the environment that they work together better. And I think the quality measures that we're trying to move towards will help them do that. We're not trying to get quality measures to be punitive, we're trying to get quality measures to improve the evidence that there are best practices that we should all follow so we take better care of our patients. Physicians in general always want to do the best thing for their patient. Sometimes they're misled by data that's incomplete or experience they've had. But when provided with clear data, with strong evidence, physicians move very quickly to that type of practice because they are intrinsically interested in making sure the patient has the best care possible. So I, I think this is where it's all going to play an important role. And then when you look at the finances, why is quality, measuring quality important? Again, let's just say that you have millions of dollars to take care of a population of thousands of patients. 
Well, if you have physicians who are, say, doing thousands of cases on a specific diagnosis, that may really look good in a fee-for-service model where you're generating all kinds of revenue, but it may turn out that, in fact, they're over-operating or over-treating many of these patients, and the cost of the care for that population is far beyond what it should be, and the actual group will actually take a loss on that situation. If we can manage the quality, we'll provide the best care with the best evidence for the best cost. I don't think you can do that unless you really work on keeping track of what the physicians are doing in terms of quality, having these measurements in place that are beyond just the simple, broad healthcare spectrum measurements, and then having methods and a quality assessment program to remedy uh, deficiencies or variations in care so that you can get that on the best track for the best quality for the right price. Great. So how can organizations leverage technology and data to measure the quality of physician care? There are a number of ways that we not only should, but we have to do this. We've been behind many of the other industries and even behind in some areas of healthcare. And that is that when we've been looking at the healthcare dollar, remarkably, 80% of the way the dollars are spent are really based on physician behavior. And yet when insurance companies or healthcare systems or doctors practices talk about negotiating contracts and managing populations of health and looking at the overall dollar value, they use very broad interpretations of the types of measurements that are needed to understand what the risk is. As we go forward in this process for true value-based care, we really have to do a much better job of monitoring each and every physician who participates in the process. And in fact, physicians at first are not interested in that or they're nervous about it. But in reality, when a system's set up so you have a collaboration between your peers, you're benchmarked against others, uh, it actually improves everyone's understanding of the process. And I think it drives a higher level of care. But it's going to be very important as we go forward that if you have a population health pool of revenue that you have to manage, you have to be able to interpret, understand, and modify the behavior of the physicians that are within your system, or you may have problems with them overspending or duplicate spending or doing other things that, in fact, could seriously cause some financial troubles. So I think this is an area that has not been as carefully assessed, particularly with regards to musculoskeletal care, and it's definitely coming on the horizon for us to do a much better job. Great. So what key things should organizations keep in mind when designing quality metrics and reporting processes? So I think when people first start thinking about this, they immediately go to resources such as the American College of Surgeons uh, National Surgical Quality Improvement Program or look at other institutions and they come up with factors such as 30-day mortality and morbidity or cardiac problems or pulmonary or uh, deep vein thrombosis and surgical side infection. And I, I think all of that is important and we should include that, but that's just really scratching the surface and really not looking at what we need to be able to see with our individual physicians. In fact, what we need to look at is things beginning from the very beginning of the patient experience. Uh, how many patient encounters are the physicians seeing? So we know whether they're providing an appropriate amount of time to care for that patient. How many patients are seen for a specific diagnosis who end up having surgical procedure for that? Are physicians over treating them or under treating them? And when they make the diagnosis and have the indications, do the indications fit the evidence that we have available today? There's plenty of studies that show uh, that the variability in care is dramatic 
not just across the entire country, but even in communities, one next to another, the, the amount of spine surgery or joint surgery or sports surgery can vary dramatically. That really shouldn't be the case if we're using evidence-based medicine to look at those factors. And then when they do the surgery, we look at these factors that we just mentioned, something like uh, whether there was a complication during surgery, 30-day mortality or morbidity rates, or surgical site infection. And those individuals who are following a standard deviation or above from their peers for the same type of patient, we have to investigate and see what the problem is and remedy that problem. The problem may be that they're taking on the most difficult patients. And so we have to come up with standards that recognize the difficulty in treating revision cases or patients that are more sick, or the problem may be the physician is not doing an adequate preoperative assessment and is taking on more risk than they should. And again, when we benchmark that against their peers, we can pick up on that information on a real-time basis. We don't have to wait for a year or two. We can actually run this real-time and within four to six weeks, you start to see trends and you can actually intervene and make this work much better. And then finally, patient satisfaction. While we'd like to measure everything in terms of what the physician thinks is important or the surgeon is important, you know, how far you can move your limb or what a kind of activity is being measured, we really want to know what the patient thinks. And so we have to look at things like the minimally clinically important differences from the care we provide. Say that someone does improve the range of motion by 20 degrees. Well, if it doesn't give them any more function, it doesn't really matter to the patient. And we have to really consider whether that's the right procedure, the right indications. And so the, the other piece of this, of course, is the financial part. What equipment is being used to provide this care? Are they using a device that costs thousands of dollars when their peers are using something that costs half as much or a third as much and yet provides the same outcome? Are they taking extra time in the operating room and that time is very expensive time? And are they doing things with regards to the care in the office? providing more braces or out-of-network type care like orthobiologics or regenerative medicine in areas that do not have good evidence, and that's driving up the cost of care. So putting all of that together, we do have a set of core criteria the government has helped us with, and there's been some advancements with, again, the American College of Surgeons and others. But we have to be much more specific, and we have to compare apples with apples on a very specific basis so that we can control the quality of the care that's being provided, and with that, the cost of the care that's being provided. So how has measuring quality of care delivery improved processes within your own organization? Well, to be honest with you, that question really gets at the issue that we have. Most of the measurements that we're using right now are not really a measurement of the quality of the care. It's a measurement of the quality of the process that's in place. In other words, they're really looking, are we measuring whether someone has a deep vein thrombosis? Are we measuring whether we're operating on someone who has high blood pressure? Are we measuring a patient that has to be readmitted to the hospital and saying, okay, that's not right, that's a problem. But the process is really just the basic part of this. It doesn't help us remedy the problem. And that's what we really have to get down to if we're gonna make this better. We have to measure the quality of the care provided by the individual physician, because in fact, this is not done by a machine, it's done by individuals. And they should overall, if it's truly evidence-based care, be within a certain amount of quality of care in terms of the outcomes, and it should be within a certain uh, amount of cost to deliver that care. And this is not about the process. You, how, how do you measure the process of one surgeon repairing a rotator cuff versus another surgeon repairing a rotator cuff? You can't really do that, but what you can measure is what's the indication correct? 
did the patient do well during the surgery? So they, they had a good response to that. And then their post-operative outcome, was that appropriate? And does that compare favorably to their peers and the cost to deliver that episode of care also compares favorably. If someone's costing three to five times as much and having more complications, it really has to be remedied or you're not gonna be able to do well understanding the potential risks of taking care of population health and managing the whole spend related to that population. What role can physician leaders play in managing quality of care data and carrying out behavioral and performance changes within an organization? Well, physician leadership is really critically at the center of this whole process because up to now, much of it has been, as we just talked about, process related. And so it's frequently uh, left up to uh, sort of the operations people, maybe the finance people are involved. And it's frequently done on the business side because they're measurable amounts of information or data that can be used. What we as physicians have to do is create the correct measurements for understanding the physician or the health provider side of the equation. We can't just use uh, these uh, various uh, broad spectrum measurements such as surgical side infection. That by itself doesn't help us. But if we know the type of patient they're operating on, whether they're high risk, if we know how long the surgery uh, took to perform, which we know is a risk factor for infection, if we know that during the surgery, uh, the surgeon followed the clinical care pathway that included a certain amount of of irrigation and other prophylactic measures to prevent infection, and if we knew what the rehabilitation process was, we can then not only understand, okay, we have an increased surgical side infection, but why? But that's where the physician comes into play. We're, we can't just look at these and say, this is terrible, we're gonna stop this. We have to say, this is the problem, how do we remedy that? How do we develop more evidence to make sure that we're continuing to improve the quality of the care that we're providing to a population of patients? But we have to do that patient by patient and physician by physician, which has really not been done well up to now. So how can healthcare entities ensure that providers' voices are being heard when designing quality metrics and reporting processes? Well, I, I think it's critical that physicians are involved in the process. And you see more and more that involvement uh, through a variety of systems. And quite honestly, in my opinion, if it's decided by the business side of the healthcare system that um, the physician input is not that helpful, they're going to end up losing in the overall battle in terms of the strategy. This cannot just come down to a business and the denominator is only about dollars and cents or profit and loss. It really has to come down to the quality of care because inevitably patients will flock to the places that they feel where they're getting the best care. And just because an institution has uh, some bells and whistles or has more money to spend because they're really tight on their budgets and they're doing well, if they're not providing high quality care, which is coming from the physician or the deliverer of care, that's gonna be a problem. So I think that in these complex processes, having the physician in the boardroom, and as we know now, many physicians are increasing their um, diversity of education in terms of, uh, of degrees, but also in terms of their experience and involvement and the running of healthcare systems. But having a physician in the boardroom working with the finance side, the operations side, the revenue cycle side, and the quality assessment side is going to create the healthcare business of the future that's going to be most successful. For organizations that are looking to start measuring the quality of physician care, what potential issues could they run into when leveraging technology and data 
and how could they overcome those potential challenges? The biggest challenge by far is the concern from the physicians. Many physicians feel that, well, if they're measuring all these things, then somehow they're going to get after me if I don't do something right or if I have one complication or, or there's a problem. And in fact, it shouldn't be like that. But the messages sometimes are not very clear. That's where I think it's really critical to have physician leadership and have a person that speaks the language, that's trained like they've trained, that has gone through the experiences and sit down with them and say, the reasons we're doing this is because we want to be better and we want to help you be better. So first thing is, this is not a way to be more punitive towards you. What we're going to do is we're going to measure this across a number of physicians. We're going to benchmark this. We're going to look for standard deviations above one to see what's going on. And then we're going to remedy the situation. We'll either remedy it with evidence or we'll study it and make sure that we're doing the right thing. The only reason there should be penalties is if provided with the data, which becomes very clear, the physician decides that either by ego or by stubbornness that they don't want to change, then there has to be penalties for that because you have to bring them in line uh, with everyone else. The second thing is, is that many physicians who feel that they can be creative or innovative feel that these types of systems will box them in to a single way of doing things. And that's actually not the truth. What actually happens is that if you follow a clinical care pathway, and let's just take 10 surgeons, for example, they all follow the exact same thing. And that there's something that's not right in one particular area. We can study that area much, much more effectively with less variables and come to a conclusion, what's the right thing to do? It doesn't hurt innovation, but it creates an environment to be have responsible innovation that fits in line with uh, the knowledge today and potentially the future knowledge. Those are two of the big things that I see, particularly in the musculoskeletal care area that seems to bother physicians. The last thing is, is finances. There are physicians who have learned to develop high volume practices, literally physicians doing more than a thousand cases a year. They develop support staff around it and everything else. And it's really rewarded by the fee-for-service system to do as many cases as possible. And they may or may not be doing the right indications for, for all these patients. Hopefully, we'd like to think that they are. And in this system, if you measure them with quality and outcomes that, that the numbers sort out well, that's great. They figured it out. The concern is, is that there may be a, a certain 10, 20 percent uh, that are not getting the outcomes that maybe are not the best indications. And in a value-based system, those numbers have to be reduced. And so in a new model for physician compensation, you have to take that into consideration. It can't just be productivity-based, but there has to be some percentage of the physician's compensation that actually incentivizes them to follow a value-based model. And those types of challenges are being worked out in a variety of different practices. It's not easy uh, to get those figured out. And oftentimes the culture of the entire organization has to go undergo a gradual shift. And we all know how difficult that can be at times. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Romeo, for your time today. You're very welcome. Thank you for the opportunity to speak about this topic. And for our listeners, feel free to reach out to us at podcasts at intelligentmedia.com to share your thoughts about this episode. You can also use that email to let us know if there are any topics related to the healthcare industry that you would like us to consider covering. And if you like this episode, please head over to Apple and give us a few stars and a positive review. Thanks for listening. This has been an Extelligent Healthcare Media production.